The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. So first of all, church, I, uh, I apologize for the temperature in this room right now. It is not normally like this. And if I see any of you sleeping during it, some of you are coming right off of breakfast, got a full stomach. Anyway, it is warm, but um, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, good morning. As you're finding your place to First John, I am really grateful to be your pastor. I am really grateful to have the opportunity to teach and to preach the Bible. Um, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that, that we're fairly simple here. Uh, typically what we do is we, we literally just walk through books of the Bible together, um, and we get the opportunity to literally do that every morning. We believe God has spoken. He's active in his word, and so what an honor it is. It, it, our Bible, this is relevant. It's powerful through this. We know God we know about the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that we get to do this. One of the most beautiful things about doing what we do as a church, just simply walking through books, is that um, occasionally we are going to happen on, upon texts like the one we're looking at today. Okay, so I want to be really honest with you. Um, I probably wouldn't have picked this text this morning to walk through. Um, and it would have been a shame because we would have missed out on uh, beautiful texts like the one we're about to look at this morning. So I'm grateful that we get to do this. I'm grateful that we get to continue on in 1 John. Um, and we are going to be starting in verse 12 of chapter 2. So if you can find your place there as you are, I want to catch you up uh, a little bit on last week because it sets the kind of the tone for us this week. So we started in, in chapter 2 uh, a few weeks ago, and last week we looked specifically at verses three, 3 through 6. And we talked directly about assurance. What an amazing thing to talk about. The fact that we can know that we know God. And John tells us, is telling this early church how they can have confidence in their walk, that their experience they had was one with God. And, and um, in the context of this early church, like we talked about last week, uh, there was a, a group of people that broke off from the church. They split off and they were teaching something, they were teaching a different gospel, they were teaching a different belief about Jesus, and, and uh, they were claiming that they could know God apart from Jesus. They could know God um, apart from the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And, and John says, no. No, no, they, they're, he's saying, church, they're lying to you. They're deceiving you. They're deceiving themselves. They don't know him, but he's affirming, he's encouraging this church. But church, you do. You can have assurance that you know him, that you walk with him as you continue to do what you know, which is to love God and to love others. You can know that you are his. Um, this letter was meant to be encouraging for this church and encouraging for them uh, to say, I know that you have doubts, I know that, but I want to speak to you and, and give you confidence as, as a church. And, and this morning, I think that the encouragement for us is going to continue. It's going to continue on, and this text that we're going to look at is, um, well, let me ask you, just right off the bat, 
How many struggle with doubt or have struggled with doubt? Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. Um, I'm going to let you in on an inside information here. If you're new with us, uh, new to the church, because we're Christians does not mean we don't doubt. Uh, because we are Christian doesn't mean that we'll never doubt again, but, but doubt is not something that we have to ignore. Doubt is not something we have to hide. And as we're going to see, doubt is something that shouldn't have power over us either. Um, but for all of us who, who deal with doubt, um, this text is going to speak directly to us, directly to us this morning. Um, and I want you to picture something before we read our text. It's, it's sometimes important to get kind of the feel of the text before we actually dive in uh, to it. John, who wrote our letter in 1 John, at the time he wrote this, he was an elderly man. Most believe in his 90s. He was an elderly Elderly man, a man who had seen so much. This man actually literally walked with Jesus. He saw, he was one of Jesus' closest friends, earthly friends, while he was his ministry here. He saw him, he knew him, he was friends with him, he walked with him, he saw so much, he knew him intimately. And, and that was John. And now, later in his life, in his late years, he looks out over this church at a people struggling with doubt of people who maybe their confidence wasn't what it, it once was, and he sees them, and he, and he sees the insecurity, the fear, maybe even the confusion. And as a loving, wise, I want you to read this like a gentle, wise old man is reading it to you, okay? Um, a gentle, wise, older man just addresses these people with, with such grace and encouragement. He even uses, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you've read parts of this letter, he uses this all the time. My dear children, my little children. And he's not literally talking to a bunch of kids when he says this. It's, it's a 90-year-old man. Everyone's a child to a 90-year-old man. Kind of the, like, it's like a 90-year-old telling a, a 50-year-old, you youngster. That's kind of what's, what's happening in this, in this text. Um, and John, as he encourages, he uses that tone and he's encouraging this church um, and John is going to speak to three specific areas this morning of, of, of doubt. Three specific areas where we as Christians face a lot of doubt. And so I want to jump in and I just want to read our text together uh, before we go into it. So in verse 12 it says, I'm writing to you little children. There's that little children again. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So what I want to do before we walk through this, I want to hit two things just head on. There are two prominent issues that I want to talk about before we actually look at this text because I want to hit them dead on because I want the main point of this text to be the main point, and these two things can easily distract us, uh, and, I, and I don't want that to happen. So first, first question that I want to just get out of the way, hit the nail on the head, is what on earth is with the little children, the father, the young men, what is that? 
Why is John talking like that? Is, is he referring to literal little children? Is he referring to literal fathers, literal young men? Is this metaphorical? Is this just, I mean, he's an older man. Is this just like old man talk? Like, what's going on right now? Who is this? Uh, what is this lingo? Um, we could really get off into the weeds. And trust me, if you do any research on this text, people have gotten off into the weeds on this text. Uh, but for the sake of our time and for the sake of us majoring on the major, what I want to do is just answer this question just really briefly, and that is this. The terms little children, fathers, and young men are used to describe three stages of life that should be true for all believers. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to unpack that, but let me say it one more time. So all of these terms are three stages of life that should be true for all believers. All believers. Um, John is not, in other words, referring to a specific three different types of people. He's not like, we're, in, we're divided into three. He's not saying little children, fathers, young men. He's not doing that. Instead, he is, he is referring to three qualities that all believers should share. Um, a commentator words this well. I think I, I have it on the screen for us. But um, John is describing the church as a whole in that all Christians should have the innocence of childhood, the strength of youth, and the knowledge and wisdom of age. So here's what this means, is regardless of where you are, your gender, your stage, your who you are, regardless of that, the encouragement that John is giving is meant to hit you between the eyes. It's meant for, for you, because he's speaking directly to doubt, which doubt is very common, I, as we saw in, in our church. So that's the first question. Just get that out of the way. The second question is, um, why on earth does our text look like this? So if you're looking at it in your Bible, you'll notice uh, 1 John is paragraph, 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 paragraph. Weird indention. Back to paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. What is that? Why does it look like that? Um, why does it stand out? Well, our, our text is intentionally different from the rest of the letter. It's intentionally different because, follow me, it communicates something, something very specific. So if you look at, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice it says, I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing to you young men. I write to you children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. Notice the children, then fathers, then young men. Children, fathers, young men. If you're a poet this morning... Uh, you would recognize this right away. How many poets we have in here? Church. <laughs> Come on. Oh, wow. Um, seems to be a dying art. Uh, just sad. Anyone enjoy reading poetry? All right. That's good. That's good. Um, if you're familiar with poetry, you'll recognize this. It's called an ABC-ABC structure. ABC-ABC, which means that both of the stanzas that talk about little children, those parallel each other, right? Both of the, the stanzas that deal with fathers, they parallel each other. In fact, they're almost word for word. Uh, both of the stanzas that deal with young men, they parallel each other. So it's ABC, ABC. I say that, one, because we need to like poetry again, but two, uh, because this is meant to communicate something to us the way it, the very structure of it communicates something to us. So with those two things out of the way, uh, I want to talk, I want to look at our text, and there are, there are three encouragements from John. 
that I want us to dig into. Three encouragements from John that I want us to dig into, and I want us to look at the first one first. Um, Let me start this one off with a question. Uh, How many of you are really good at forgiving? That's awesome. We have a couple. We have a couple. Uh, Just naturally. You just naturally are a forgiving person. Um, In my opinion, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because it is, oh, forgiveness is hard. But as hard as it is to forgive others. I have found in my time in ministry and talking with people, doing life with people, that, that it's almost harder to forgive ourselves than it is to even forgive others. It's hard, it's, it's really hard to forgive. It's almost like we project our own difficulties of forgiving others onto ourselves in, in some strange way. And it's really hard to forgive ourselves. And John says this, I'm writing to you little children. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then the parallel to that. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So I'm writing to you, church, because your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. So here's the simple encouragement, and then we'll unpack it. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he secured your forgiveness. So I want to I really dig into that for a moment. That, that means the sins of your past, as ugly and as shameful and as embarrassing as, they, as those things are, the sins of your present, as ugly, as shameful, and as embarrassing as those are, and get this church, the sins of your future, those, those just ridiculous things that you haven't even yet done. The sins of tomorrow, the things next week, next month, next year, when you miss the mark. Jesus died for that. All of that. Jesus died for that so that you stand before God perfectly forgiven. Completely forgiven. Not halfway, not a quarter way. Perfectly, completely forgiven through Jesus Christ. I want to think of an analogy here for a moment. Um, I want you to imagine that your entire life, everything, were made into a movie. High def, all right? I'm talking every, every action, every thought, everything you wanted to do, every, everything. Everything about you was put on this awesome movie. That's a scary one. And then that movie, God pops that in and he watches the entirety. Every moment, every moment of that movie, watching it all. And after that movie is over, after watching every moment of your movie, he sends his son to die for you. On that cross, the reality, the punishment, every sin in your life was placed on Jesus Christ. And now you are forgiven perfectly, completely forgiven. Forgiven. Um, I know that I asked at the beginning how many of us struggle with doubt. My, um, my belief is that one of the most common, most prominent places that Christians doubt is the fact that they are truly forgiven. If there's one place that we can doubt, it's the fact that we are truly, truly, truly 
forgiven. And John speaks directly to it and says, church, your sins are forgiven. And he adds, he says, for his name's sake, meaning nothing that you did earned that. It was for his name's sake. Jesus Christ earned this. God says in Isaiah 43, um, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That means there's no sin, there's no mass of sins that is beyond the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, uh, how many are parents? All right, so a good number of us. Uh, There's a reason John uses the analogy of children father here. Because if there were one type of person On this planet, one type of person who does not struggle with accepting forgiveness, it is small children. Uh, I have had uh, drinks spilled on me. I've been drop kicked. I've asked them to clean something up. They didn't, and then I step on it. Um, I have had temper tantrums, many temper tantrums, thrown at me. Um, But not once has any of my boys struggled with accepting my forgiveness. Not once. They don't carry the shame that that we carry. They know where they stand. They know I'm their dad. They They know I love them, so they just don't linger much on those past mistakes. Um, It's not a coincidence that we're compared to that. It's not a coincidence that says little children accepting the forgiveness of a father, that you are forgiven, just like my son doesn't allow yesterday's temper tantrum to affect his relationship with me today because he knows where he stands. Um, We don't have to allow the sins of yesterday to weigh us down because we know where we stand through the work in the person of Jesus Christ. That is good news. Your sins are forgiven. The second thing is this. Uh, John says, verse 13, I am writing to you, fathers, Because you know him who is from the beginning. And again, he parallels this a few lines down. I write to you, fathers, again, because you know him who is from the beginning. So another question, uh, how many grew up in church? It's okay to admit that here. It's safe, safe place. Um, you, you uh, You might relate to this, especially if you grew up in church during your teenage years, and especially if you went to traditional youth camps. Um, there's, a stra- there's this phenomenon that happens in, in most, in, in typical youth camps. Um, students come together, they unplug from reality for a moment, from the friends, from school, from all of that, from family. They unplug, they withdraw, they retreat together. Um, and, and for just a week or so, it's not that long. But through this time, God just starts to work on it. It's contagious. Um, it's just absolutely, the last night you look around and you see friends that are crying and praying and it's just hugging, confessing, and you see friends giving their life to Christ and you're right there and you're burning your secular CDs and you're just going all in. It's like that all chips in moment, like I'm all in, all of you together, just all in. It's, it's wonderful, it's powerful. And you leave you leave that place and, and, and you feel and you believe and you know that things are going to be different now. Things are going to be different. And when you get back, you step back into life. You step back into school, your friends, your family. You step back into all of the normal things that, that comes. And, and 
the emotional side of that starts to fade a little bit as life happens. And there's something strange that happens. And most every youth pastor has had this question asked to them like three weeks, two weeks after youth camp. And that is, was what I experienced real? Was what I experienced, was that real? And the reason I bring that up is because that question is not unique to teenagers. They may have the courage to approach someone and ask them, but, but that question is not unique to teenagers who come back from youth camp because regardless of who you are this morning, one of the greatest tools of the enemy, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is to get you to doubt the truth of the experience that you had with God. To get you to just wonder, was that just me? Was that, I mean, that couldn't have been, you know, that is the tool of the enemy. And here, if, if he can, if the enemy could get you to doubt the simple fact that you know him, then you live your life in this real crippled, weird state of not knowing. And, and as we talked about last week, here's John's encouragement here. You know God. You know God. Um, have you ever known someone in your life who, who's been a Christian for many, 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 many years? They've walked with the Lord for a long time. If you do, there's, there's for many of those, those men and women who have done this, you, you, you get this sense of peace and just confidence that they have. That comes from years of knowing Jesus, just years of knowing Jesus. John is saying, you can know with that confidence. Like a father, you can know. Uh, you can know him who is from the beginning. So a question is, who is that, by the way? Who is this from the beginning piece? Well, well um, John, in his gospel, starts off his gospel in a very unique way. Do you remember it says, in the beginning was the word? And the word was God. The word was with God. The word was God. In that verse, the word is Jesus Christ. And so, so what John is saying here is Jesus is the one who is from the beginning. And so the way to the Father, the way to know the Father, to wait, the way to know that you know God is the Son. Is the Son. And think of it, think of the context here. Part of the church has just left because they said we can know the Father without the Son. John is saying no, to know the Father is the Son. There is one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we can know God. For those of of us who struggle with doubt, whether or not we are his, whether or not we truly know him, John is offering this encouragement to know the son is to know the father. To know the son is to know the father. To know the one who is from the beginning is to know the father. To know Jesus Christ is to know God. Um, and if you're here and you know Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible tells us that you are his the Bible tells us that you have eternal life through him. The Bible tells us that you can walk as a child of God, that you can walk in confidence, that you can walk with that trust like an older man who's been walking with Jesus for years. You can walk in that confidence because you know that you know God and you know that you know through Jesus Christ. So the first encouragement is that you are forgiven. The second is you can know God. Lastly, John says this, I am writing to you young men. Because you have overcome the evil one. And again, parallel to that, he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And we could camp here for a long time because this is, this is huge. Not only are you forgiven, 
not only can you know, but you walk in strength and you can overcome. Um, Here's the third encouragement. You are strong. You're forgiven. You know God. You are strong. Um, Too many of us, too often, if we're honest, live our lives as though we are victims. We live our lives in this... um, we feel like we're constantly just getting attacked and we have this mopiness. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Um, this mopiness about us. And, and it's like we live under the world's heel a little bit. I don't know if you can relate to that, but too many of us too often live with this bondage that has us shackled to sin. We live with this fear of the unknown. For too many of us, um, fear and just timidity has, has stopped us from doing really big things for Jesus. This fear of just the unknown, and, and some of you are sitting here, and you've had something in your life that you know Jesus has been calling you to do, but, but you've not done it because of a fear of the unknown. And we, we don't act because of fear. We choose safety. And let's bring this to spiritual warfare. Too often we avoid even talking about it because we, it terrifies us. We feel ill-equipped of it, we feel ill-equipped to handle it. Too many of us too often live as though, like we've forgotten that the Spirit of God lives in us. That the same power, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And it's like we just, we've forgotten that. Um, Does the fact that God's power is in you, does the fact that God desires to actually work through you, does that change anything in your life? Does that change the way we live? And let me put it like this. The enemy would love it, love it, if he could convince God's trained and equipped soldiers that they are unworthy to leave the base. Imagine, that's a cool strategy for an enemy, right? If, we, if he could convince God's trained and equipped, empowered soldiers, oh, we're not worthy to leave the base. Let's, let's stay back. Like, The enemy would want nothing more. The enemy does not want us to wake up and to realize the words of John here. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You are strong. You are not weak. You are not timid. The word of God lives in you, meaning the spirit of God, the word of God, the power of God himself in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's camp here for a minute, because some of you, when I read overcome the evil one, you, you, I don't know about that. I don't know. I still feel the effects of that evil one, and I don't know if I have done a good enough job in overcoming that guy. Like, I don't know. I want to read a couple scriptures. Both of these are from John, same one who writes here. Uh, One comes from his gospel, John's gospel, and the other one comes from the last book in your Bible called Revelation. Uh, I want to start with John 16. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says, I have said these things. So Jesus, I have said these things to you, to the disciples, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. These disciples were facing terrible tribulation and persecution. Um, And not only that, but they were about to face persecution that was going to take their life require their life of them. But Jesus says in the midst of this, you may have 
peace. You will face trouble, but find encouragement in the fact that I have overcome the world, that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. So we are his, he is one, we have won through him. We are his, he is one, now we are victorious through him. John is, is, is reminding, Jesus is reminding us of that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of whatever you have going on right now, that you are victorious through Christ and you have overcome. Now I want to listen just a little further in Revelation, 21, or Revelation 12, verse 11. Uh, I'm going to have this on the screen, but John's describing the end of time, the end of the age, and he says this, and they, uh, this is the people of God in the context he's talking about um, the brothers, but this is a people of God, and they have conquered him. The him there is the, is the accuser of the saints, Satan. So, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus overcame the evil one. He overcame the world. Through him you can walk today in victory, and it gets better. There will come a day when we will experience ultimate victory. Ultimate victory. When Satan is conquered, overcome, thrown down, and we know victory in Christ today, and we will ultimately know victory through Christ on that day when everything is, that is wrong is made right. Um, hear me. You are not weak. You are not puny. In fact, the Bible even says, when you feel weak, hey, that's really when you're at your strongest because Jesus is strong through you. You are not weak. You are not puny. You are strong, and you have won through Jesus Christ. The call is to stop living like the match is not yet decided. Stop living as though we have lost. We, we have victory through Jesus Christ. And I want to pull these things together. Um, for, for all of us who struggle with doubt, doubt if we're truly forgiven, doubt if we truly know him, doubt if we're truly strong, here's the encouragement. You are forgiven in Christ. You know him. You know God through Christ. You are strong through Christ. You have all of this, if you catch my drift, through Christ, through Jesus Christ. You have all of these things through Jesus Christ. Do you know the forgiveness that's in God? Do you know the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ? If you are his, John is saying, draw confidence from the fact that you are perfectly, completely forgiven. Let peace fill your heart because of that. Draw confidence in the fact that you are forgiven. If you don't know him this morning, come to him. Because in him is the forgiveness of your sins. All of them. Nothing you have done can separate you from his grace. You cannot out -sin the work of Jesus on the cross. You cannot. There has been worse sinners that have come to Jesus than you. I guarantee it. You can know him. Come to him for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you know him? Are you, if you are his, draw confidence in the fact that you have a real, vibrant relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ, you have a real relationship. What you experience with God is true and real and lasting. We can draw our confidence on that if you do not know him this morning. Come to him. Come to him because he has made a way for you to have a real relationship. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to live your life just 
maybe you don't have to live like that. You can live knowing you have a real relationship with God. Do you know that you are strong? Do you know that you are strong in him? Because if you are his, draw confidence from the fact that you are victorious through Christ, that, that we are his, he has won, we have won through him. Draw confidence in that fact. And if you do not know Christ this morning, come to him because in him, through him, you are not weak, you are not powerless, you are not puny, you are not exposed, you are not vulnerable, you are not ill-equipped. You are a conqueror. You are victorious and you are a conqueror. You have overcome through Jesus Christ. I want to read this as a way to just bring it all together. I think this sums it up. I'm not going to have this on the screen, so you guys are just going to have to listen. It comes from Romans, and it says this. What what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are forgiven, you know him, and you are strong. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the encouragement that you have given through your word. I thank you that we can know you. God, I thank you that you have told us who you are. I thank you that you have told us your plan. I thank you you have told us the beautiful good news of your son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Through him, we're forgiven. I pray that that realization just rests on every one of us in this room right now. That every sin... Every sin, past, present, future, that your son paid the debt. Our sins are forgiven perfectly and completely in his name for your name's sake. We stand forgiven. And I pray that that peace just rests down on all of us who struggle to forgive ourselves. That we can rest in the fact that you have forgiven us. And God, for all of those in this room, all of us who doubt if we truly know you, God, I just pray that you make it so clear that to know your son is to know you. I pray that you just um, strengthen our relationship with you. This morning, that wherever we are, however we are this morning, whatever brings us into this room, that as we leave this place, 
that you build in us a confidence and assurance that we are yours and we know you. And God, for, for all of us who doubt whether or not you want to use us or not, for all of us who doubt if whether or not we are strong enough to be used by you or not, God, show us that we have been equipped, empowered, strengthened by your spirit to do your work, and we, will, we do not have to fear but we can walk in victory. We can walk as, as victorious conquerors for you. That we can leave our base and we can be used by you. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that assurance. We thank you for that peace. And I pray for, for anyone here who does not yet walk with you and know you. I pray in this moment that through your word and through your spirit working through the word that you would um, open eyes to see the good news <laughs> that you love us that you sent your son to die for us that whosoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life we are yours you have won and we have won through you in Jesus name